oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fipping wit got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn 2 Turn 2 Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast We are back today Finally getting into the outfield. Uh, the start of our 50-hour marathon of going through the outfield, like uh, every other podcast, starts now with special guest, Justin Mason. Uh, you, If you don't know him, you know, get your head out of your ass. Welcome to the show, Justin. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I figure at this point, because uh, I'm doing just a super round of self-promotion for our, for our uh, draft guide at Friends of Fantasy Benefits, that uh, by this point, everybody's probably heard me because... I think this is my seventh pod, different podcast this week, and I'm going to do another one as soon as we're done here. Yeah, so, we have the, the comments from your, your wife about how many podcasts you do. I know my wife has talked to her online as well about oh it. God. <laughs> She's like gathering either a mob or some sort of wife support group because it seems like every fantasy analyst's wife has contacted her in the last like month or so, uh, and she is the ringleader of a mob that is going to murder us all. Yeah, she's very organized. I will give her that. And uh, also joining us on the show tonight is Mr. FF Stompy, Sam Lane. What's up? Hello, buddy? gentlemen. Nice to uh, finally talk to Justin here. Right? Been listening for a long time, buddy. So wait, so they don't introduce you as like Scott Fish Bull champion? Is that because it's a baseball I, podcast? Or? Yeah, well, I think it's more because we're a year removed and people got sick of it. But uh-huh. I'm, I, I'm, I'm finding ways to keep myself relevant. There may be a... Uh, a leotard or unitard uh video coming out at some point this, this football off season well here you can use this as a cautionary tale for the uh great fantasy baseball invitational because we got the invites we're like hey you got the invite and i'm sam you in this yep. no i'm like did you apply no <laughs> no so remember everybody if you want to be in it you gotta apply yeah, every year, I mean, because I, I actually just went and put in one of the alternates today, so I should probably email and let him know. Uh, every every year after the deadline passes, like a bunch of people will go, oh, wait, I want to get in. Well, th- apply on time. Like I open it up in August, you know, so it's like yeah, you know, from August to February 1st. Yeah. So, I think uh, I'm just, I'm I just you a dummy. Out, you put out the link for the new year, and I think I applied like that day. I'm like, I'm going to forget. Yeah. I'm just doing it now. Yeah, and I mean, you, like people are always emailing me. Have, did I apply? Did I apply? It's like the world's worst application process. Too everybody gets accepted if you meet the minimum qualifications, and I mean, like everybody. So it's like, I mean, if you're doing any content in the industry, you're getting in. Uh, so like, definitely when I post the new one in some time in summer, make sure everybody gets in if you want to get in. Now I feel less special. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the point of TGFBI is. It's inclusive, right? Yeah. I mean, we've got a we've got some great industry leagues like Tout Wars and Labor, but let's be honest, a lot of people are never going to get into those. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm I've been grateful and uh, and you know very lucky for myself to get into those contests. But most fantasy analysts are never going to get into it. There's like 58 spots in Tout Wars. It's like the Supreme Court, unless someone dies, yeah. you're not getting in. Exactly, because people don't give those spots up. Yeah. Uh, so I mean. TGBF, the beauty of TGFBI is everybody can get in and everybody can prove that they're the best. And so uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be fun this year because uh, we all have to take down Rotorwire. Rotorwire has won this thing the last two years. and we Clay's can't. in my division. Clay's oh, my, good. Yeah. Take yeah. him out. Take him out. Yep. I love Clay. Great dude. But don't let him win again. That's the, that's the goal. <laughs> All right, so uh, outfielders, why don't we get started with the actual outfield? Um, I know I listen to a lot of uh, what other content creators are doing because you know you don't want to mirror what everyone is doing with the uh, the outfield previews, and they actually all start sort of the same. We're not going to spend too much time on the top three, so you know we're going to spend some time on a little bit the top three, only because this happened to be a trendy topic online, and we're not going to actually spend a lot of time, folks. We're not going to waste a, a lot of your time here, but um, 
there seemed to be like a mob of people where the Acuna seems to be the consensus number one amongst most people. Um, and then you have the group of Mike Trout guys like, what are you insane? Of course it's Mike Trout, which you can understand the argument. Year after year after year, Mike Trout is awesome. And year after year after year, you have that one guy everyone wants to draft over him. And it usually doesn't work out the way it's supposed to. I know that you, uh, Justin, are a Trout guy, and I usually am. This year, I'm actually going Acuna in Roto only. Um, not points. Points is Trout. That's a totally separate thing. But in, in Roto, and this is kind of the point I've been bringing up, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. I mean, Mike Trout, I love him. Uh, he only had 11 steals last season, which I know he had a little bit of an injury as well. But in 2015, he had 11, 2016, 30, 2017, 22 of 26, 2018, 24, 26, and then last year, only 11 of 13. I don't expect there to be a bounce back from that either, though, because, I mean, you bring in Anthony Rendon, who's batting behind him. Why are you going to be stealing many bases when Anthony Rendon has a bat in his hand? I don't see him doing that, especially as Trout's getting older. He's very important. I just think it's going to be one like many speed guys. It's one of those things I don't and don't really in uh, bet on coming back. Uh, and if you look at his numbers and you take all the stolen bases away, it becomes J.D. Martinez, which is still fantastic. But the reason Mike Trout has been the guy in Roto year after year after year has been those stolen bases. That's the thing that separated him. And if those aren't a sure thing, you know, I mean, you get Juan Soto a little later, but rather than go him, go to J.D. Martinez later, or even, you know, a little later, you can go Bryce Harper. So unless you're getting those guaranteed ones, I kind of rather gamble with Acuna giving me the 40-40. Um, so that's my thought process on the two. Um, Justin, like, where would you, I mean, you know, Trout is safety, so I assume that's probably your, your, your main argument there. You know, uh, you know, he's never going to let you down, but uh, why, why you just like to settle on trout? Well, honestly, what I've settled on is I want the third pick in every draft because I don't care which one of the three I get between trout, Yelich and Acuna. I, I think they're all amazing. I think they're all studs. I think the people who are arguing uh, about these three players and in what order they should go in uh, need to find some better things to do with their time <laughs> because it's, I mean, you're, you're, you're picking between like amazing superstars and yes, they all offer a little bit different things. They all have a little bit different levels of risk. Uh, they all have a little bit uh, different levels of upside. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're all amazing. And like, if you walk out of the draft with one of them, you're going to be happy. So uh, like, yeah, I would, if I had the first pick, I'd probably go trout just because I think the floor is higher than it is for Yelich or, uh, or Acuna just because like even last year, like you mentioned, uh, and the last few years he's missed games and still been one of the best players in fantasy, which means if he's healthy for a full season, again, we could be looking at a guy who goes like 50, 15 or 50, 20. Someone uh, tweeted out his 99th percentile stats the other day. I can't remember what they were, but they were like record shattering. <laughs> it was it was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, if you go over to like fan graphs and go like check out the steamer 600, it's like, you know, I mean, these dudes like projected for a 173 WRC plus. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's so far ahead of the field on that one, too. So if you walk out of the draft with any of these guys, it's fine. So like. If you prefer Acuna, draft Acuna. If you prefer Yelich, draft Yelich. If you prefer Trout, draft Trout. I'm not going to beat you up either way. Even if you want to take Cole, number one. Like, I wouldn't do that, but I'm not going to beat you up if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's definitely those three guys. It's like, whatever, I don't really care. Um, our co-host actually believes, uh, not not Sam, John, uh, MLB Moving Averages, thinks that Mookie Betts belongs in there. And he, he would take Mookie Betts over all these guys. Oh, not over all these guys. He'd take him third. I think he wants him over uh, Yelich because really? there's guys like him, Freeze, Max Freeze, Freeze Stats. He does his own um, ballpark figures where he actually thinks that going to L.A. is going to be a big boom for Mookie as far as home runs. I'm one of those people that are just like, I didn't move him up or down. I don't really care either way. Um, I'm sticking him at the five. I'd still rather have Bellinger personally uh, just because of the position. I'd rather kind of throw those stolen bases at first. But um, – 
But yeah, we don't have to get too much into Mookie Betts uh, either. I think it's kind of like that general order too. You have your top three, and then you have uh, you know either you want to go Cole, Bellinger, Betts, and then you got your shortstops uh, after that. Uh, Sam, you kind of before we move on from uh, the top guys again, we're spending too much time right. here anyway. Yeah. But this is just a conversation that a lot of people are having and screaming at each other about. Well, so I thought I'd. Bring up. I think. I mean, I, I think the point Justin, the first point Justin made was any of these three, you're going to be happy. And really in any of the top four with Mookie Betts in there, you're going to be happy. Um, I just, just to make a point on Yelich though. Uh, and <clears throat> I I was not a Yelich guy last year. Uh, I'm also a Cardinals fan. So there might be some bias there, but Yelich had 30 stolen bases. I think that's kind of an underrated part of Yelich's game. I mean, he, he had his best season as a hitter by far. I mean, 44 home runs in 130 games, over 100 RBIs near 100 runs. His uh, Wobo was 442. His weighted runs created plus was 174. But I don't think people realize that in back-to-back seasons, he's had he's done he's had over 30 home runs and 20 stolen bases. Um, so that's something that you need to take into consideration. Here is I, I would the almost, main thing with him is just the injury. No, I think no, he's no, 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 no. He probably there'd probably be tons of people taking him one over. He's probably the consensus three only because of injury. But again, it's three. People take him one now anyway. So right, I mean, we're talking about three, and you're taking him like the average ADP is two point four six on NFBC, like point one behind Mike Trout. So it's not like you're talking a gigantic difference here. Yep. All right, so moving on past the ridiculously obvious picks of the top four, uh, Cody Ballinger is going off as a fifth outfielder, uh, going six overall. So that's basically your your top half of the first round, uh, and then you typically have the your your um, your shortstops going off, and then you got Juan Soto uh, going around eleven, and then there's kind of a a pretty big dip because then people are going uh, starting pitching heavy. All the third basemen tend to go, and then you get to like Juan Soto, Bryce Harper in that area. Um, is, is there Anyone that is really comfortable drafting Juan Soto in the first round, I know I made the point earlier about how Mike Trout, I, I haven't gone him only because if the stolen bases aren't there. I could see him putting up like a J.D. Martinez type numbers. And that's actually a bigger reason for me not to draft Juan Soto um, for the same exact reason. It's just price-wise. I know he gives you some stolen bases, which some people are worried about. But as a Mets fan, I, I can guarantee you those stolen bases are going to be there for no other reason than they play the Mets so many times. Uh, but do either of you in on Juan Soto going in like uh, the first round? Not I, not at all for me. I mean, I would rather have somebody like J.D. Martinez there because he's got that floor that – I mean, Juan Soto, his he had a fantastic second half um, – last season but i mean you're talking his best season 334 110 uh, in terms of rbis and 12 stolen bases which i mean i guess if he has the the quote unquote stolen bases but yeah with jd martinez you're talking about 4100 and you could basically lock that in at this point so i'd rather have somebody like jd martinez there i think juan soto's probably going a little high for me right now yeah i agree i I'm nothing against Juan Soto. I think he's a fantastic player, and I think he actually has a really safe floor. Uh, but at that point, I'm going to be getting one of those shortstops. If, if I'm missing out on one of the top three guys or one of the top two pitchers, uh, give me one of those three shortstops that hit for average and steal bases and hit home runs. So, um, I'm just curious for the, the shortstops, when you're saying the three – Who's the third you're referring to? I, I know this isn't the shortstop show. We 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 know Lindor and Story are one too. Are you referring to Bregman or Jose Ramirez as their third? Uh, Turner. Oh, Turner. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm like forgetting Turner like completely right now. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Bre- <laughs> Bregman is not in my first round. Uh, I actually have Bregman behind Tatis. So. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah, after one Soto, there's a pretty big drop off there, and then you get to uh, Bryce Harper, Starling Marte, JD Martinez, Aaron Judge, uh, going like 23, 25, 26, 27 <laughs> around there, and that's pretty much in a 12 team league. You're looking at that towards uh, like the uh, the two three turn, uh, or the it probably like middle of the second round in 15 team leagues um, to the end of the second round. Um, is there anything here that you that sticks out to you? I mean, I know. Aaron Judge, I don't totally understand. I know you talked about this when you were uh, over on um, Sleeper in the Bust on how you definitely don't seem to be getting the proper discount on Aaron Judge considering his injury history. I know he can hit 50 home runs. I'm a big 
even though I say I'm a Mets fan, I'm, I'm someone who thinks that Pete Alonso is probably one of the worst um, values in a draft because you're drafting him at their essentially their ceiling where, you know, you can get a guy like Fran Mel Reyes uh, towards the very end. We'll probably cover him tonight. He's probably in the top 40 at this point where you can kind of get the similar ceiling not quite you know Aaron Judge hits the ball harder than just about anybody in the league I just look at his home run to fly ball miles per hour but it just seems way too early here and I'm not even necessarily happy taking Giancarlo Stanton at the big discount you should probably getting Aaron Judge for for the same reason you know guys later like I mean I mean Max Kepler is not going to give you 50 home runs Fran Mill could have tons of risks there but what do you think of uh, Justin these guys that uh, you know the, the the pure power people that uh, have a little bit of injury attached to them yeah, I mean, Aaron Judge has not shown the ability to stay on the field the last few years, and that that's a big deal. I mean, you're drafting him with a potential of twenty or of uh, fifty home runs, but he's only had twenty seven each of the last two years. Like that hurts. And I mean, the the point I made on the sleeper in the bust was that like, what's the difference between him and Stanton? Stanton's going like thirty picks later. That's the difference. Uh, so like, I don't understand why people are still taking Judge in the second round when you've got guys, I mean, going around him like J.D. Martinez, Bryce Harper. Uh, I mean, I love Austin Meadows and Starling Marte, even though they're probably going a little bit too high. Uh, I just don't understand. Like, I love Judge. I think he's a great you know, player, and he's a great kind of marketing tool for MLB. But I, I don't know if this is Yankee tax or his beautiful smile tax, but <laughs> there's some sort of tax going on here. Uh, because he's a giant person tax. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, you know, and like, he's super lovable and people, you know, adore him, but taking him in the top 30 is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, because- wouldn't you argue Stan? I know Stanton, Stanton seems like he's super injury prone, but like prior to last year, he, he, he almost played a full season for a couple of years in a row there. So I'm not sure why he gets the, the big ding that judge is not getting. I, I don't know if it's ageism, but I think people yeah. forget that like Judge is not like super young. Like Judge, I think is like twenty seven or twenty eight. Yeah, he was like a Ryan Howard rookie, right? Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it took him a long time to figure out how to kind of fill that hole in his swing because you know, I mean, with his height, he had, he had this really long swing in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. and once he kind of you know kind of fixed that, that's when he started you know to really break out. Uh, and, but that took a very long time. Like he fell off of prospect lists because people didn't think he was going to turn in, into anything other than like Kyle Blanks. Um, so take that Kyle Blanks. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, Stan missed a ton of time last year. Granted. I mean, he, he only hit three home runs, only played in 18 games, but like you said, 158 games the year before that 159 games the year before that. Uh, and I think they have similar ceilings. So why am I going to take the guy that's going, you know, 20 or 30 picks higher? All right, before I send this to Sam, let's throw one more guy. I know I prodded Femmel Reyes, but if you're considering Judge um, as at around 27, or you know, then you, you say we're talking about Stanton's going at 62. Uh, why wouldn't anyone consider Jorge Soler at 93? Who I can just—I know we're going out of order, but introduce him right into this. I mean, I know he also has the tag of being injury prone. He played 162 games last year, which, if any. It's weird that you can't get it out of your mind that he's injury prone, considering he is literally that one of the healthiest players in all of MLB last season. So, Sam, what are your, what are your thoughts on these the power guys going in the uh, top forty? I mean, I, I'm I'm 100 with Justin on Judge. I, listen, he's going to give you power. We know that. I mean, 27 home runs in 102 games, 27 and 112 in the previous two seasons. But the point is, he missed 60 games and 50 games the previous two seasons. I. I mean, he's absolutely, I I would rather take, I mean, you can, I think you can get power guys somewhere else or you can make up for it somewhere else. Um, And you can get guys like Starling Marte or, or uh, sorry. um, What I I just said, Starling Marte. Oh, I did. Right. Kettle. Kettle. No, no. So you can get, yeah, you can get guys like Starling Marte, uh, Kettle Marte. um, And then you already mentioned Jorge Soler who have, I feel um, I, I feel are safer because I don't, I mean, with Marte, you're getting 30, 30 plus steals, um, 30 plus. I mean, you're, you're getting a 30, 30 guy. I mean, even like George Springer, 
is is pretty safe though you're not going to get the power there so but in terms of solar well not 50 not 50 power you're going to get power just not no 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 yeah i mean you won't get 50 plus power but you can make up for that elsewhere i mean why not get Marte where you get a 30 30 guy and then um get like a a paul goldschmidt who will give you 30 plus home runs um later on in the draft I might temper the power a little bit on Marte only because Arizona after the humidor has not been great. Dodgers. Well, but I mean, it's not, it's not that different. Than no, 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 no. I'm really, if it literally, cause Marte. we hadn't talked about him. I was just kind of making the point. Other than yeah, yeah. cores, it's kind of a big division letdown other, you know, other than cores for him, but he's but, still good. I, like and, I mean, and if, if you look at Pittsburgh versus chase, like if you look at PNC versus chase park factors, not a, not a big difference yeah. there. No, uh, no, no. I, I didn't mean like home for home. It's more of a division thing. You don't. No, no. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you do have to play in San Diego. And though I kind of disagree with um, our friend John about Mookie Betts going to L.A. Um, because that seems to be more of a pitcher's part. But that that's, uh, has to do. Uh, Mac, again, plug Max Freeze here. He has it on his website. Freeze stats. He has uh, his own park factors. Where this there's certain park factors for batting average and for home runs. And they think for Mookie with the way he hits the ball and his batter ball profile that he'll hit more home runs in LA. Uh, it's a theoretical thing, but again, it's not enough of a needle pusher for me. It, it's interesting because Rudy Gamble ran his projections with Mookie uh, and he dropped him from the number five player to the number of like 17 player. Ooh, wow. that's something. So like that, that's a huge like difference between two projections. Yeah. Both guys, very, very smart. Both guys, very, very good players. Uh, so it tells you that even, even the numbers guys like can't agree on certain things. I guess the thing for me is like I, I throw the park factor for home out the window and I just think, you know, he's he's going uh, the same thing I just said for Marte. Now he's got to play. Not only is he coming to L.A. and if you want to call it even or worse, he's still now he's got to go to San Francisco. He's got to go to San Diego. <laughs> it's, well, not, it's not fantastic. I mean, either. Again, I'm not moving him up nor down, but I don't see I definitely don't see the reason to move him up. I could only see him a reason to move him down, but it's not enough for me to move him down. And let's be honest, like the difference between the number five player this year and the number 17 player this year, it's not that big. No. Like the first two to three rounds of fantasy drafts are stacked this year. So like, I, like, I mean, they could both be right just running different, uh, you know, f- uh, formula valuations. Yeah, which brings me to my usual point I bring up once per episode. Rankings are stupid. ADP is stupid. <laughs> Roster construction <laughs> is the only thing that matters. The player, as soon as you make your first pick, your rankings should change considerably. As soon as you make your second pick, your rankings should change considerably. All right. So back to the point, though, is, yes, you do have guys later who have put up 40-plus home run power. Uh, Solaire had a, a phenomenal second half of the season last season. But, I mean, I, I'll throw Joey Gallo in here. I, I mean, if you're looking for a guy that's going to do what Aaron Judge does and, and – Get home runs and get injured? Yeah, there you go. Uh, but I mean, I mean, in in 2017 and 2018, he played 145 and 148 games, 40 plus home runs in both of those seasons. Um, what was his batting average? Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, there's a category. you're breaking. You're breaking. No, 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 no. I, I agree. I agree. But and 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 it's obviously built in there. Where he, I mean, Joe Gallo's the 23rd outfielder going off off the board. Um, and, and judge is ninth and Giancarlo is 16th. I think the point is you can get, you can make up for some of that power late, but something like steals, uh, something like a five tool player is, is going to be hard to, um, get that late. That's why like Starling Marte is more interesting to me than, than judge and, um, and Giancarlo a, a little bit earlier. That is one I think where I, I, I support where Marte and Meadows are going. I know it seems like they're being drafted at their ceiling, which they probably are. But if you whiff on stolen bases early, like if you don't get one of those top guys, you you know, if you go a direction in the first round, early second round, like the, where you can't, um, you haven't really locked those down. I can see trying to lock down Marte or, or Meadows, which I mean, I'm a huge Meadows fan. Everything I saw from him in the second half, he started pulling the ball Um on purpose, like a lot more. I think he hit 17 of his home runs in the last 50 games, and he pulled the ball 14% more in that span. Um, his home run to fly ball uh, was above his career average, uh, but um, he was uh, he was a 19.3. His In the minors, it was only like five, which is ridiculous. Uh, but uh, as soon as he got traded to Tampa Bay, it went up to 23.8, so it didn't kind of worry me as much. So 
and he's and he's a good he hits lefties and righties well. I know injuries are a big deal with Austin Meadows. Uh, he was okay last year, but it's something that's in the back of your head. But you know, if you're talking about drafting him instead of like Aaron Judge, and you need to go with uh, you know your, your injury risk is is a, is a bound for a lot of these guys. So uh, I think that he's a safe bet to not do better. I know that some people think he that his current draft pay, and if you look at it, maybe his current draft position. Um, requires him to be even better than last year, but I think he can duplicate last year because I think everything, the changes he made, I think that uh, the the batting average will come down a little bit, but I think, you know, he's like a 30-15 guy, and I think that's pretty good in that area if you happen to whiff early in the draft. I love Austin Meadows. Like, no one I don't think was higher, and I'd have to double-check that on, like, the fantasy pros ranks and stuff on, on Austin Meadows as I was last year. Like, I've been a huge fan of his. But, like, the the issues you mentioned are the issues. Like, this dude could not stay healthy in the minor leagues. Uh, like, serious back issues, a ton of soft tissue issues. Uh, like, he – this is the reason why he fell off a of prospect list as well. So, like, I don't think – well, this in this price, one, I think, like, factors in that he is supposed to grow. Like, he was one of the best players in fantasy last year. Uh, and like you're expecting him to grow to what like yeah. Mike Trout like it's like there's not much room he can go up at this point uh so like, I think he can repeat what he did last year too um and I don't think that the value is necessarily awful I'm just when I make every pick I tend to want to get someone I think can exceed my draft uh the the, the draft stock and I don't know that Austin Meadows can so, I don't think he will either. Let, right? let me let me ask you. So Meadows and Springer are going back to back there. Don't want either. Okay. Well, there you go. But of the two, which one would you prefer? <laughs> Meadows. I, I would take Meadows. All right. I mean, Springer not only has injury issues. Uh, I mean, I think we're drafting him la- off of last year. Uh, you know, the the career season. Uh, you know, there's really only one way for him to go, and I think that's down. And, I mean, you're talking about a guy who has loved George Springer for a long time. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's been my boy for, for a very, very, very long time. Um, but while I don't downgrade him for any of, like, the trash can stuff, um, I'm, I definitely think that he's going to regress a bit coming into the year. And so I'm probably going to step away. If, if he would just start running, I know he sucks at stealing bases, and that's part of the problem. But if he started running because, like, Dusty Baker – you know, starts putting guys on the move on the base paths, which is a possibility. Like then it would be like, okay, I think, I think I could uh, take some shots here at Springer, but like, I just don't see where he's going to improve any. And I can definitely see in a couple different categories, especially where he could regress quite a bit. Yeah, it's a good point. The uh, we we had a sh- we had an entire show talking about the, this is before all the specifics came out about the Houston scandal. And we were just running numbers on who we thought we'd be really worried about. Uh, I wasn't worried about Bregman at all, and Springer didn't because he was awful in 2017. He like continued to get better. He seems like someone who wouldn't benefit from trash cans because he'd get inside of his own head. And really, if you ever played baseball before, having a buzzer attached to you that would seem like something that I would hate. Like it'd be something, another thing to think about. Uh, but yeah, Jose Altuve is on record, wh- whatever, of saying that he wouldn't really want the signs. But you know that that whole shit show is is uh- is something else. Uh, but, uh, someone, someone at the athletic did, uh, I think it was the athletic. I could be wrong about that. Um, like went through and watched every single home game from the Houston Astros season and marked down who was at bat when each trash can got hit. It was actually and, a Houston fan who did that. And he, I think he okay. sent it to the athletic. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then, and then they, and then they, they graphed it by player and by batting average, uh, on the on the uh, at bats where the garbage get hit, and George Springer was actually the most or the person who benefited the most. Uh, ironically, Altuve, I believe, was at the very bottom of that yes. list, right? Yep. Yeah, but but, uh, but he didn't. He may not have needed one because he had a buzzer. Yeah, he had a buzzer. If, if, you, if you believe in all the conspiracy theories, <laughs> um, you know, I tend to go. Yeah, I think I'm answering these questions. Everybody so was. Everybody's probably doing some version of this. I think they just kind of cross the line with how egregious it is. I mean, because uh, someone tweeted out the other day, like Carlos Beltran was a member of either the staff or as a player of the New York Yankees in 2015, 2016, 2018, and 2019. 
Mm-hmm. So the only year he was on the Astros was 2017. Are you telling me that was the only year he stole signs? Yeah, well, and he was quoted. I think someone was quoted as saying that he came in and basically told everyone, "We're really behind the times with our mm-hmm. you know, our sign stealing. We need to get with it." And then Carlos Correa, Correa, the only person who answered questions during the press conference, to, open press conferences today, defended Beltran, saying, "You know, uh, we uh, no one told us what to do. We all made our decisions as a team." I what I'm assuming is he came in, told everyone, "Hey, we're behind the times. We should do this," and everyone went along with it, assuming the entire league was doing it and it kind of snowballed from there. Not saying it's right or wrong, but the entire it's probably league something is simple doing like that. it. That's the thing. Like yeah. everybody's doing some version of this. Yes. They were just the ones who got super egregious. Yeah. Uh, and they so, went really, really next like, level. Yeah, like, like, I'm sorry, but like you don't like leave your bloody glove like, at the house you just killed someone at. Like, you know, I mean it like it was easy to trace this back if someone ever said anything. And so uh, yeah, of course there's other teams doing the exact same type of thing. That's why the buzzer thing is so interesting because every team could be doing that. Uh, the Astros in general, I there's a couple of things. I'm worried about some of them, but it has nothing to do with the, the trash cans or the buzzers. I'm thinking that, like, did it help them in the games? Unlike Jim Crane is saying, yeah, of course it did help at certain points. If it helped, like you looked at the oldest Chapman home run everyone keeps pointing to, sure, if you know that's coming. Um you know, it could help, you know, it helps you and you can drive the ball, but there's plenty of players where if Aroldis Chapman literally screamed out slider before he threw it, you still couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's not really going to matter from a fantasy perspective over a full season, because I think in the end, these players are really good. If you take them away, they're still going to be fine over a season, but I think that having this over their head, they're going to be really nervous. They're going to be, there's a ton of pressure on them. Um, so I just think in general, um, I mean, umpires could be really squeezing them this year. There's a lot of factors where I almost in the back of my mind want to ding a couple of these guys at the top, like Bregman. I think Correa has got enough of a discount already where he's going, where it doesn't really bug me. Uh, but that, that is my only concern. I don't think there's going to be any kind of regression other than you said, there's, there's plenty of reasons to have already dinged George Springer, which is why we opened this conversation. And yeah, none of the, uh, the, none of the stuff we've talked about is, is really a reason to, to ding him in my opinion. Exactly. Uh, so moving on here, uh, we have stolen bases. How do you feel about the stolen bases in general though? Uh, just Justin, is it just a general, uh, the roster construction thing for this season. Uh, is this something where you, you don't go death by a thousand paper cuts by going with like Austin Meadows. If you miss out, uh, if you don't want to go that direction, are there just people where you try to in like a roto format? Are you trying to grab a Valar or if you whiff early, are you just trying to collect your 15 or 20 uh, from a few different guys, like trying to pick up Loriano or, or, and you know, people like that going out. Honestly, the way I look at drafts is, uh, every draft is a puzzle and it can go together a million different ways. Um, and so I'm just take, I just take the best play, especially early in a draft. I just take the best player available. I don't worry about position. Uh, I don't worry about you know what categories they fill because there are players all throughout the draft that can help me kind of retweak the puzzle and fit to fit everything together. And that's what I'm, I'm looking for balance at the end of the day, but really I'm just looking to fill up stat categories early uh, and so if if stolen bases in the category that I hit early, I mean, I usually do. Uh, but there are plenty of times where I walk like out of a draft, like let's say, you know, Jacob deGrom falls me in the first round, then I hit J.D. Martinez on the way back. Like I'm not going to feel bad that I don't have any stolen bases going in the third round, and I'm not going to freak out. The fact that there are less stolen bases means you need less of them to compete. So the idea that you need to like – like, oh my God, I don't have stolen bases. Now I need to take all of these guys right in a row to get them. Or I got to take all these risky guys right here in, you know, the 10th through 14th round uh, is, is, is silly. And you're, you're unbalancing your team and you're not constructing your roster properly. You, there are plenty of guys, you know, in the mid rounds that you can get to help you. You don't need as many stolen bases as like, you don't need to go get Jonathan VR and then go get another big stolen base guy. So you make sure you're leading the pack. You're trying to finish second or third in a category that isn't going to have a lot of separation to begin with. So don't freak out. Know that you can get those guys later. 
wise words. <laughs> uh, anything to uh, add before we kind of move on here? Uh, I know you are you're being a Cardinals slash Rockies fan. We're about to get into Charlie Blackman. If you want to lay in on him, because it's he's literally a guy I don't think I've heard anyone talk about. He's just a kind of a the speed kind of left him, and he's just kind of sitting there at a good valuable spot. You take him or leave him. So um, you know Charlie Blackman's up, then George Springer, Whit Merrifield at fifty three, Aloy Jimenez fifty four, and then Victor Robles going around sixty. So, yeah, I mean, just my little, I guess, thing on stolen bases is I usually use it to tip the scale if I'm between players. Like, okay, well, Austin Meadows gets only 12. Starley, Starley Marte gives me 30. I'm probably going to go with Starley Marte just because Marte will give me those 30 stolen bases, and that's how I generally look at it. I'll try and get one big guy like Villar, uh if, if that's who we're talking about. But other than that, yeah, I think I just use it as more of a tiebreaker than anything. Um, in terms of Charlie Blackman, yeah, he doesn't have the speed, but I mean, he's had four straight seasons of basically 30 plus home run or 30 plus home runs, a hundred plus runs. Um, now his inability to steal really has been declining since 2015 definitely hurts. But his power, I mean, his power numbers and his run numbers definitely help here. And he doesn't look like look to be slowing down at any point. Um, this this Rockies roster is pretty stacked up top, so he's still going to get plenty of chances to score. But yeah, I mean, again, this is one of those situations where if you like um, floor, Charlie Blackman might be your guy, but maybe you're swinging for the the ceiling here, and Aloy Jimenez might be a guy that you're going for. So you say Aloy, I would argue. Um, I, I already brought him up, like Ramon Laureano going like twenty picks later. Oh yeah, no, I, and that's fine. I'm, I'm just saying, like yeah. in this range where it's like Charlie Blackman with 30, 30 plus home runs, hundred plus R runs, and then like seventy plus RBIs, or Aloy Jimenez who could do a a thirty. 30 plus 100, 100. And, and I, I don't know if they're going to do that in that lineup because that <laughs> lineup's kind of rough. But um, I, I think that's the point is Charlie Blackman's going to have the floor, but he does not have the ceiling anymore that he once had. I, I want to get your thoughts, Justin, because again, uh, Charlie Blackman seems to be like just that boring guy who's just sitting there and everyone announces him on their shows and no one actually stops and parks and talks with him for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he still has an 80 grade beer, which is important. I mean, yeah. that's, that's at least the sixth fantasy category, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of ageism going on here, and part of it is he went from 43 home runs in 2015 to this huge drop-off that led to like a slow decline to another huge drop-off. Like We went from 12 to 2 last year, and not just 12 to 2. He got caught stolen uh, or caught on the base pass five times last year, so like – he, and if you look at his speed score on uh, on uh, Statcast, like it's not good. It's it's definitely not good. He's no longer a fast dude. He's he's getting older. That being said, dude still has power. He still hits for a huge average. I mean, three fourteen last year with thirty two home runs, one hundred twelve runs scored. Uh, he's a monster, and I think he's still a bit underrated. Uh, that being said, like I understand people not wanting to invest in a guy who's going to be 34 this year, uh, whose lineup might get a, a lot worse around him if they start trading off pieces like they've been rumored to do. Uh, but he's still going to hit for average. He's going to still, still hit for power. So what more do you want from him? Yeah, I, I would argue if you're, if you're one of those people that are not totally on board with Meadows because of the injury, one thing we didn't mention with him is he stole 12 bases. He got thrown out seven times. I would assume if that kind of stuff continues, he may get a green light taken away. Therefore, if his stolen base ceiling lowers for any reason, then all of a sudden Blackman's a very attractive option around pick 50. Um, one guy that's interesting is Victor Robles. He's going about 10 picks later. I did a whole thread. I mean, if if no one's listen, uh, doing any of my 2020 baseball threads, I've done like 40 of them at this point. I always post them online. I did one of Victor Robles. He, in a bad year, by all metric metrically, he still was like 2030 almost. He almost got there. And nothing really is encouraging if you look at it from a numbers perspective, but he's 22 years old. I mean, 81 mile power exit velocity, which that is not everything. If you look at his fly ball to line drive exit velocity, though, still 88.6. 
which is just terrible. Uh, but you know, if you look at his uh, his ground ball exit velocity is only 73, which was dead last in major league baseball. We don't care how fast you hit the ball into the ground. So it skews those numbers a little bit. So again, grain of salt with everyone really pissing on the exit velocity, but again, 3.2 barrels per plate appearances. How did he hit 17 home runs with all these numbers as, as you look through them? Um, he, he has good plate discipline for his age. Um, but you know, I mean, and he gets really owned by changeups. He, nothing suggests he's going to get any better other than the fact that he's 22 and incredibly talented. Like <laughs> you look at Alberto Mondesi, he swings at everything and makes horrible contact yet. I still haven't projected to be this huge monster in Roto because he just seems to be able to do it. Victor Robles is similar. He's young and he could turn it on. Um, you know, look, he had a hamstring shortened season and almost went 2030. So I would expect him to do it again. So what are your guys thoughts on Victor Robles? Because from a, as a numbers guy, I can't see a single thing to like about him other than the fact that uh, they refuse to trade him. All the scouts love him. Uh, you can see the talent on the field when you look at him. And he went 2030 having a, an atrocious year. So, I mean, 60 seems kind of risky for a guy with that who looks like a slump could just totally destroy him. Uh, but, you know, in Roto, he looks like a good bet for uh, to go probably 2030 again. Yeah. It Robles is a tricky case because he's one of those guys where, uh, like I had a bunch of shares last year and El Tout and uh, the main event and things like that. Um, and like when you watch him hit, you're like, who this, I don't know how good of a player he actually is. And then you look at the stat line at the end of the night or end of the you know year and you go, man, he had a really good year. Uh, and like you said, the stat cast data is ugly, but I guess one of the things like Paul, uh, Spore, my podcast partner, uh, kind of talked me into taking him at, uh, on our labor team was he's like, listen, if the stat cast data was this bad and his overall stat line was that good, imagine when that stuff kind of comes up. He's still 22, you know, still growing, you know, filling out a little bit. Imagine when he does have, a, you know, a league average exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Like we yeah, could be talking yeah, about a guy yeah. like who, who grows into more power, grows into – uh, like, you know, his tools and stuff like that a little bit. Don't forget, like, he missed a ton of time in the minors with injuries, uh, especially late uh, or, you know, last couple of years. So, uh, like, this is a guy who is still kind of growing as a baseball player. So uh, as much as, like, yeah, the, scat, the stat cast data, underlying metrics um, can be a bit scary, uh, I do think he's a guy that kind of overperforms those things. Yeah, I know. Everything you said was poor said. If if he can go 2030 being trash, imagine if he figures it out. And most people think he will. It's like that appears to be his. I mean, if you want to look at a floor, that appears to be his floor because he can't bat metrically much worse than he did. Um, it reminds he thought, me a lot of um, prime Carlos Gomez. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Right. He was like Lots a first rounder. Yeah, the end of uh, his Minnesota, beginning of his Milwaukee tier. Oh, yeah, Carlos Gomez is perfect. I love that. Um, Aloy Jimenez, we kind of skipped over. Um, most people, I don't know. It, it's surprising he's going as as early as he is, uh, in my opinion, just because there's not a ton to go on here, and it looks like the floor is just too low for him still. Uh, and who has thoughts here? Just because he's you know one of these younger guys, we can talk about him and his teammate Luis Robert, who I believe Aloy said is the next Mike Trout uh, about a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Sam, you want to start us off with the Chicago outfield? All right. So I mean, obviously super hyped last season. Um, came in and really actually put up decent numbers. I mean, mind you, that White Sox that White Sox lineup was real, real bad. I mean, real, real, real bad last season. Um, and uh, as a rookie, I mean, when you have 31 home runs as a rookie, uh, 79 RBIs in 122 games, you're you're doing fantastic. Um, and, and I mean, we we talk about age here. He's only 23. He he had his first season in the bigs last season, uh, and uh, and played 122 games. But I mean, weighted runs created plus is well well above average. Woba's well above average. Um, his BAPIP was a little low, so I think that can come up. Um, his ISO was a little high, uh, so that might drop a little bit. But I, I he's still a a thirty plus home run guy. And I if if that White Sox lineup gets any better, which it very well can, and we'll talk about his teammates here. But 
I mean, you could talk about 30 home run, 90 plus RBI and, and where he is going right now. I mean, he's going pretty late. I mean, as the, uh, 17th outfielder there, um, and I think his ceiling's a lot higher than some of these guys above him. I mean, we didn't talk about Kettle Marte, and I was going to – I mean, I, I would like to circle back to him here in a second. But, I mean, I, there there can be some concerns with guys like Kettle Marte, who had a phenomenal second half. I mean, probably the best second half in all of baseball in, in terms of the outfield last, last season. Um, but is that an outlier? And is Kettle Marte going too early? And – I mean, there, there's guys ahead of of Aloy that you you can throw questions out, and you can argue that the ceiling for Eloy Jimenez this year is higher than some of those guys ahead of him. But at at 55, where he's kind of going now, you, you'd rather go that direction than Loriano at 70, or even Marcelo Zuna and Jorge Soler around like 93, 95. Here's my issue with Ozuna, and we could I I could get into this, but it's almost like he's only performed up to standards once and every other time he's always below expected. And that's been true for the last two seasons. You do have that Adrian Beltre type of uh, prove it year coming for him though. So, well, I mean, but we had that last year. Like you saw what not... he did it in Miami. I mean, <laughs> look at that year he had in Miami when he was trying to earn his money. It's just, it's one of those things like he puts up good numbers, but it's like, if you look at his expected versus actual output, he's always below what he should be hitting. Um, I'm not actually tons of excited. I mean, I know the expected numbers. I'm actually, I haven't drafted him yet only because I happen to like other people more whenever it comes around to me, Justin, what do you think of Ozina? Just since we're on him, I know we're, we skipped some people we could circle back, but um, he's a guy where as soon as he signed in Atlanta and everyone sees him in that lineup, every, he and his ADP shot up and everyone's celebrating who already drafted him much later. Uh, <laughs> do you have expectations for Ozuna to kind of come out guns blazing in this Atlanta offense this year? I do a little bit. I think there's a real good chance that, uh, that this is the first year in the, in the last few years that he's actually fully healthy. Uh, and I assume that the Braves did their due diligence in terms of, uh, you know, checking out all his medicals and, and run him through all the tests he need to run. Because uh, I think that's what's really held him back from, you know, kind of returning back to that 2017 form that we saw in Miami. Not to mention, like, he out of nowhere stole 12 bases last year. Like, I, I don't understand people giving Juan Soto credit for all of a sudden stealing a bunch of bases that he had never shown the ability to do in the minors or the majors. But we're not going to give Ozuna the same credit for that being said, there's obviously a low floor because we've seen it. I mean, if you've seen him scale that wall uh, in the outfield, missing that ball, like, you know, you, 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 he obviously can miss a lot of things. So um, including time. So like there's, there's, there's a low floor, but I think that's what the price is. Uh, it's kind of built into the pr uh, draft day price. So if he's healthy, I think he can hit 35 home runs and hit like 270, which is pretty damn good for a guy going where he's going. Here, the reason I'm skipping him, I, I mentioned two names a whole bunch, so we might as well talk about it a little more. Ramon Laureano, I mean, he, he strikes out a lot, but he only walked like 5.6% of the time last year, but in the minor leagues, he was basically over 10% always. So he's shown the ability to take walks. When he came up in his rookie season, he did as well. So I'd expect that to go up, which should help overall. The thing is that he increased his fly ball, decreased his ground ball, and he had a shin injury. So I just think that in someone who was a big hyped up guy preseason last year, he started off a little slow. I think that uh, he has a pretty good shot of taking a decent step forward. I mean, I have him down for like 287, 23 home runs, 18 stolen bases, which, you know, doesn't jump off the page in any particular area. But again, if you're talking about taking risks on guys earlier in the draft, he's one of my favorite pre people because I think he could vastly outperform my projection. But I'm pretty confident that, you know, again, a 287, 23 and 18 is like in the bag for him. So that's kind of a reason I'm, I'm whiffing on a lot of these other guys we talked about earlier just because people like him are, are available much later. I, I can get behind Laureano over Aloy. I, it's just, I like, like I said, I think ceiling for Eloy is higher than, than some of these guys we're talking about. I mean, the, I, it, I think the, is this, do you think his ceiling is higher this year though? I could definitely see it like 20, if we were betting on 2021, wait, I think I'd talking about Eloy ceiling. Yeah. yeah but in you know 2020, what, you know what Eloy did after August 1st, 
Yes. He hit 308 <laughs> with 14 home runs right. and 225 play appearances. If you don't think his ceiling is JD Martinez in 2020, you're wrong. I, I just don't, I guess. Well, but, but here, here's my thing. How about, so, how about this? How about this? Like uh, a ceiling that you can be confident in. I guess, I, the, I guess the difference is ceiling that he could achieve and ceiling that I think he could likely achieve next year. I just, I think there's a growing pains coming the, his way. That's, I, I don't agree with the growing pains. My only, I mean, he, he was a, he was a rookie and, and he, I mean, you would expect this guy who put up like, like Justin said, a monster numbers in the second half and he put up 31 home runs and 79 RBIs in 122 games. I would expect 35 plus a hundred plus RBIs pretty easily this season. I would never bet against it, but I think that where you're drafting him, you're, there's definitely, there's plenty of room for profit. I just, I think there's a lot of room for, for regression too, because they're, you know, pitchers are going to be a little more onto him. The 27 percent home run to fly ball ratio is a little bit of an issue because he he doesn't quite hit the ball hard enough to be in that upper echelon near 30 he definitely hits the ball well but i mean you have guys like michael conforto vladimir guerrero who hit the ball hard but are more line drive guys he put the ball in the air like almost 50 percent of the time which is a little higher than he did mostly towards the end of the minors i know he, he's he's up in that area in general though but the 27 percent home run to fly ball ratio is a, a little iffy i just think that it, again this is just a matter of you know, I don't have a problem taking him. It just, it, it seems like banking on that is, is probably not something I'm comfortable with. If he did it, I wouldn't be surprised him going above that. I'd be very shocked in 2020. So I think, I think that uh, there's more likelihood he underperforms um, the, his projections than overperforms them. Why are you more confident in Laureato though? I think everything I, I think everything that I saw from him growing from his first two years he made kind of, kind of proper steps, and I can see his walk rate going up from what I saw in the minor leagues. So I think that there's a decent amount for him to improve much more than what we showed last year, especially with the shin injury. If he's healthy, I can see him definitely – I'm confident he'll outperform my projection, where I think Eloy um, seems like a decent bet to be really good, but I think that there's a higher percentage chance of him hitting the under, and I think there's a better chance of Loriana hitting the over just on my personal projections. It's close. I have them ranked right near each other. Yeah, I, I disagree on that. I don't think you or Loriano uh, one has the type of power to 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 go like thirty home runs. Uh, and I, I I think he's probably going to repeat what he did last year, which is great and fine considering where he was drafted. Um, but like he he regressed defensively, which could be a problem if he continues to do that. Uh, he, the walk rate was concerning. Um, and just because you show a higher walk rate in the minor leagues with really, really crappy pitchers doesn't mean that that's always going to translate to the major leagues. And we got a pretty darn good sample of what he does at the major league level. Uh, and uh, like a 5% or 6% walk rate uh, doesn't help him steal bases, which is, you know, the, the, the asset you're really looking for from a guy like that. So I, I like Loriano and I actually do think he's safe. But he does not have this near ceiling of Eloy Jimenez. I would I agree with that. Um, I I think there's a difference between in my mind, I guess, because I'm more risk averse of what I consider a true ceiling and what I consider the ceiling that I actually think they're probably going to get in redraft. And uh, if you don't believe in the walk rate going up, like in 2018, his walk rate was 9.1. Granted, that was only in less than 200 plate appearances. So when I just see that, I, I just look and you look at his minor leagues. I, I'm just I'm expecting him to kind of take that next step forward. If he doesn't, you're absolutely right. Uh, he'll need to do that in order to kind of deliver the next step. I just, he has a very good shot at doing that. I mean, his ceiling, his floor is what? Like 20, 20 and 15 batting like 265. What What would you consider uh, Eloy's floor? I mean, I, I would say that Loriano's floor is, is less than the stolen base part and considering he only stole 13 bases in the majors last year. But uh, I think Eloy's floor is probably 30 home runs and 265. I, I, I'd be, I'm on board with that. I mean, I, I think his floor was what he did last year. I think in, um, in Loriano's credit, he only, he only stole 13 bases, but I mean, he did that in like 434 at bats and with a shin injury part of the way. So I, I do think that, you know, whatever, again, these are people I have ranked literally in my own personal rankings back to back. 
Like, so I don't know why I'm arguing A's, against myself. The A's aren't a team that like push it on the base paths either. They were like 26th or 25th in baseball and in stolen base attempts. So uh, like they're not a team that's necessarily going to let him just run wild either. That being said, you're right. He only, he he did what he did last year in 123 games. So if he stays healthy, uh, I mean, you can obviously bump up those numbers. I, I would feel safer projecting kind of a repeat of last year, which is a good player, like a really good player um, and one that deserves to be drafted where he is. But I, I don't think he's better than Eli. From the very beginning, I, I never – I don't think he's better than Eloy. When I even said uh, 2021, it's a slam dunk for me. I think Eloy, if he has any issues at all, cranks him out by then. And these guys are being pay- taken like a couple of rounds apart. So that's why it's one of those things where, again, I would – if since I, if I have him uh, ranked back-to-back and one's going 20 picks later, it's a slam dunk for me personally. Uh, what about Luis Robert or Robert? I don't know even what I'm saying uh, with that anymore. I keep getting corrected one way it's, or the it's, other. It's Robert. That's that. He he has said himself. It's it's Robert. So great. You you can you can go with that. Uh, the problem like with Joe Robert, Joe They're like they need that. Didn't he come out and he actually told everyone how to say his name? That's oh, what yeah, yeah. it it totally tripped me out. Um, the, the the story that some someone tweeted on Twitter about uh, Jurius Familia. Uh, being asked how to pronounce his name and saying familia and then walking away, like makes me <laughs> smile every time. Um, so uh, the problem with Robert for me is I really don't know what the floor is. Uh, like the ceiling is immense. And if you look at the projection systems, what they're pu- putting out there for a guy who has never taken a swing in the major leagues is insane. Uh, I mean, like, you know, we've got projection systems putting him at like a 30-20 season. They had Vlad winning the batting title last year before he yeah. took a bat, didn't they? Exactly. So, uh, and when we're talking about a guy that like hasn't had a walk rate, like like a like a legit, like decent walk rate in his entire minor league career. He's got 5% walk rate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he is so Mondesi-esque. It's scary. And the thing is, like, Mondesi proved me wrong last year. Like, I totally was like, I'm not touching Mondesi. And even though he got hurt, the, the Mondesi lovers were right. And if Mondesi is healthy, he he has got the upside of a first-rounder. I feel the same way about Luis uh, uh, Robert. That being said, the floor is scary is all get out, and I'm probably not going to have any shares at the price. If he was going 20, 30 picks later, I'd be all in. Uh, but I, I just can't pull the trigger on a guy that I have no idea what he could be. There's nothing wrong with trying to find the next big thing, but like if you drafted Rafael Devers last year, you didn't draft him in the top, you know, the top four rounds. You got him late. Like try to find guys like that later. You don't Acuna have to pay. Acuna wasn't premium. going this high in his rookie year. Huh? Acuna wasn't even going this high as rookie. No, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. That's... If you want to take a shot, there's no reason to take a shot this early. Well, and that's yeah. I mean, that's cra- I mean, because he's going as the off uh, the twenty second outfielder off the board ahead of guys like uh, Soler, uh, McNeil, Eddie Rosario, Ozuna, uh, Mancini, where these guys like are known quantities and like will put up good stats. And like Justin said, I mean, if you look at Roberts' minors, like he's kind of all over the place. I mean, his his home run. I mean, it looks like he's got that power and in, in, um in his in 2019, but in 2018, he was all over the place in terms of his power. Um, and, and like, like Justin said, 5% walk rate, 25, basically 25% K rate. And it's just, it, it's kind of scary to try and predict a guy like that. All right, everybody. I told you top 40 outfielders, but I'm a big liar because uh, I told Justin, we try to get out of him, get, get him out of here in a certain amount of time. So we're going to cap this at top 25. So real quick, <laughs> Let's talk a couple more guys because we already hit most of them. Tommy Pham and Jorge Soler, a couple of guys we did not talk about too much. I uh, did a whole thread on Manny Machado. Obviously, Petco really took a number on him. But again, look, I, I, there's a lot of other things that were a problem. Uh, he, he, for some reason, stopped hitting right-handed hitters, and uh, he, he had a lot of things wrong with him. Tommy Pham uh, is one of those line drive guys where maybe the baseball uh, you know, uh, isn't going to be a big problem if they go back to the old one. But how do we – like him going from Tampa Bay to San Diego, as far as like that power he gives you, you kind of need him to at least give him what you're expecting. Is there any worry of him going to San Diego? I don't think there's any worry whatsoever. I mean, when you talk about Manny Machado going to San Diego, he was going from Camden Yards to mm-hmm. Petco. Like that's a big difference than going from uh, Tropicana to to Petco. Uh, and 
I mean, fans already played in the National League. There's going to be a lot of pitchers uh, that he's already seen. So it's not the same type of thing where Machado never played in the National League. I don't think we're – I mean, that that uh, San Diego lineup is going to be actually pretty decent behind him. Uh, I think this is a, a really great trade for him. I fully expect him to kind of do exactly what he's been doing the last few years, which is 20-20 and a good average. He, probably one of the better – values at outfield and in, in terms of the top uh top 40 i know we're only doing top 25 right now but yeah if, if you had any question marks about some of the earlier guys he, he's, he can give you something very similar right around here what do you think sam is a, a san uh, st louis fan who once loved this guy i i mean i i completely agree 2020 i mean he's basically been 2020 the last three years he's more of a line drive guy than anything um and i think that outfield's going to help him a, a decent amount there in, in San Diego. So I, I mean, I don't think anything changes here. 2020. And like you said, his value right now is, is fantastic going as the, but the 20th outfielder on the board, there's a lot of twenties, a lot of twenties going on right now. <laughs> if, if any power goes down, I'd say if it'll increase his doubles, which won't happen in Roto, but I would, I could see his batting average, uh, being getting a few ticks up here in San Diego. And then the last guy, Jorge Soler, I've dropped his name like everywhere. I love Jorge Soler. Uh, the, the, like I said, 162 games is hard to ignore, even though he's still in injury risk, even though 162 games, but it, all metrics. I mean, hard hit percentage, top 4%, exit velocity, top 4%, barrel, top 2%. Uh, he hit more fly balls, but he decreased in, infield fly uh, infield fly balls. I mean, there's, there's just a ton to like here. Uh, and for anyone who kind of looks at his expected um, metrics, like expected batting average, and you know, they some people are trying to tell me, you know, that doesn't that doesn't account for like the shift. He had two eighty six against the shift, so I mean, I'm not really worried about that either. So, unless you're just taking the one hundred sixty two games and throwing him in the trash and be like, I still don't trust him. It's like there's two things with with uh there's two things with Solaire. Either you believe in him and his ADP is a joke, or you don't believe in him and his ADP is a joke. So where do you where do you two land on Jorge Soler? I I'm concerned. I I there's red flags there for me. Obviously with with the injuries and stuff, but I mean he put up statistically far and away his best season. His his ISO was the best we've ever seen from him um, in the majors. Um, his weighted runs created plus his woba. I mean, basically everything. This was the best season of his career. And I don't know if a lot changed, I guess, for me. He he had, he hit the ball harder. His launch angle didn't really change um, from previous in his career. I mean, yeah, it changed from 2018 to 2019, but 2017 it was higher. So it's You can count people on one hand that hit the ball harder than him, though. I, and I agree. I, I mean, his he hit the. I mean, he forty six point seven hard contact percentage. I mean, that's that's awesome. And his, his fly ball line drive miles per hour is ninety seven point two. There you go. Nuts. Um, and but his and his home run to fly ball ratio was up there. I, I expect somewhat of a regression, but was that does that regression mean he goes thirty home runs and and hits more line drives? I, I could definitely see that. And if he does 30, 30, 90, and 100 again, then where you're getting him in this draft is fantastic. I think I think it's a great value anyway. I mean, I think you should be grabbing him there anyway, but I I would temper expectation. I think his 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 steamer projections or his projections right now, which again don't rely on those, but I think those projections are about right. What do you think, Justin? The only concern for me would be if you believe in the health or not, because if he's healthy, I can't believe his floor would be. It's a screaming value if he plays, uh, if he even plays 140 games. I think it's a screaming value at 93, right? I mean, I think being the DH the majority of the time is going to help him stay healthy. And I think that's the thing that did uh, help him stay healthy. And I think this kind of uh, season from him, uh, was inevitable if he ever got full-time playing time. I mean, you know, he, he just was blocked in Chicago and uh, and then had trouble staying on the field. But getting to be that DH really helped save him quite a bit. Uh, I do agree, though, that I think the, like, steamer projections, ATC projections are pretty spot on for a guy, for, for a guy like him. I think there's going to be natural regression. One, he's playing Kaufman, which is not a great hitter's part. 
uh, to line up around him is pretty atrocious. Uh, and he is a guy who will take a walk. Um, so he's not going to like swing at bad pitches. And it's a matter of time before people just don't pitch to him because there's not a lot of guys around him uh, that can force them to do that. So I, I think 35 home runs in like a 260 average is probably a really good projection for him. And anything you get on top of that is gravy. Uh, and yeah, that that's pretty awesome considering where you're getting them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I think the power will be a little, I think uh, it's not, this is just a carbon copy that they're out there. I'm, I, I keep telling people his floor, in my opinion, is probably like a typical Chris Davis season. K, not C. Uh, holy crap. Uh, <laughs> Baltimore still paying. I, I, I don't forever. think you have to say the K, not C anymore. I think <laughs> at this point, we can pretty much bury uh, Chris Davis with a C. <laughs> so anyway, that is the top 25 um, outfielders. Of any of the guys we talked about, is there anything that we didn't really get to that either of you guys want to make sure the uh, the the uh, the listeners know before heading up, heading home? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, go get my draft guide. Uh, it's called These Fantasy Benefit. It, you can get it on uh, Amazon in P or sorry in uh, ebook or paperback, uh, or you can email me justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com, and I will send you a PDF. Uh, the PDF is cheaper than the rest. It's seven dollars. So uh, it's uh, got like almost five hundred pages of analysis and strategy guides for, for pretty much every format you could ever imagine. It includes uh, 30 prospect uh, uh, team previews, so th the top 10 prospects written up by Matt Thompson for each team, plus like each team's like first-year player draft guys that you want to target in your dynasty leagues. Uh, it's got the ATC projections and the auction values associated with them uh, in there as well. Uh, it's it's fantastic and a lot of uh, bang for your buck, so definitely go check that out. The Fantasy Benefit uh, fit on Amazon, or you can email me. And it's for again seven dollars. It's a ridiculous value. Again, this isn't degrading any other guides. There's some great ones out there, but for seven dollars, I think it's, it's got to be like the, one of the best values you can. We try to undercut get. the market. <laughs> yeah, you did it. You did it well. So everybody, go get it. It's they're they're undercutting everybody for a reason. Take advantage. Yeah, go. I want to add that. Go buy Justin's guide. Um, also, don't forget that FF Mercs is not only fantasy football, but it's fantasy baseball. Um, we have uh, analysts available to help you with your drafts, help you with your rosters, uh, decisions like that. So you go to ffmercs.com, check out what kind of consultations we can offer and uh, figure out what you need to uh, help you win this season. All right, everybody. If uh, you want to yell at me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Williams, M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. You can also find the, the show on uh, Twitter at Turn2Podcast. Thank you for listening to the top 25 outfielders. We'll be back next Tuesday to try to finish this up in two hours or less. See you, everybody. Have a good weekend. My, oh, my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The X flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, he can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What it do? Win leaps Catch out Catch out